Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection morning today. We have much to celebrate, um, and we want to welcome you here this morning to an incredible day here at the Stratford Heights Church of God. I want to read a scripture to you, if I could, really fast as we do the welcome. It says in Romans, um, tells us in Romans 5, if I could find where I was again. I lost it here. Here we are. Here we are. But I can't find it. I can't find it. Anyways, we'll find it. We'll find it later on. I got it. Okay. Stand to your feet if you would this morning. I'm going to pass it to the pastor, and he's going to add it into his message there. But uh, we're so glad that you're here today. I don't know if you've been able to be a part of this weekend. Maybe this is the first time that you've been able to come. But I'm just going to tell you I'm the new guy here at Stratford Heights, and I am so proud in a good way, not in a bad way or un. un or carnal way, but I'm so proud to be a part of this church and what they've done. There's been hundreds of people that have worked so hard to put on this He Looked Beyond Our Faults presentation. And I'm going to tell you what, I, I don't like watching movies twice, and I can't wait for 11 o'clock. I've seen it Friday, and I've seen it Saturday, and I can't wait to see it again at 11 o'clock. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. 
And we know, we know to God be the glory, but I know at least 40 people have given their hearts to the Lord this weekend, and we're still going, still moving forward. One more opportunity today, and many, including myself, have been touched and moved to just weeping and tears at what Jesus has done for us, what God has accomplished for us. Amen. The scripture, I'm just going to paraphrase it. What it says is how much since we were enemies of God and he drew us close and reconciled us, justified us through his death, how much more do we have through his life? This morning we celebrate a risen Savior. We don't celebrate a theme and we don't celebrate regulations or rituals. We celebrate a, a God that's alive this morning. We worship him. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. We want to welcome you here today. We want to make sure that you know tonight there is no service. We already have two services this morning, and we want to make sure that you know don't plan on being here tonight. You can spend time with your families. Get the most out of 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, and let's have a good time. With that being said, would you get out of your seats and welcome somebody here to the house of God this morning?
clap of praise this morning. What a wonderful song, the words, he's calling us to the cross and he's calling us by name. He's calling someone by name today here. And he's been calling them since Friday night. Hallelujah. Today's a very special day. Today we come together, we've joined together for this special service because we want to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. We've come to praise him, to lift him up today. The one who sacrificed it all, he gave his life for us. He gave so we could receive. And this morning, we've come to honor him. And as our ushers come to serve us this morning, we continue in our worship. So as I mentioned, he sacrificed it all and he gave so we could receive. And in the same manner, this morning, we're going to give of our finances so others can hear about him and they can receive what we've received. He's worthy of our praise, the Bible says. He's worthy of all honor this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we've come to your house today on this special day, first and foremost, because we love you. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that you would love us enough that you would call us by name, that you would call us to the cross. We ask that you would work today, Lord, through this service and through the presentation at 11 o'clock, Lord, that you would reach out, Lord, that you would call those by name that come hungry and thirsty to your house today. Lord, we give to you this morning out of our love and out of obedience. Lord, we ask that this offering would meet the need of your church so others may hear about you and come to know you as we know you, that they could be filled with your love as we're filled with your love and your mercy. Lord, we pray for you, or for, for you to work through us today. Lord, that we would be examples of your love to those who come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. beyond your faults. <laughs> and Dottie Rambo wrote those words years and years ago. It was about me. I think it's one of the greatest songs, maybe other than Amazing Grace, that I've ever heard. Lord, we praise you. Man of sorrows, Thank you. 
of sin has no hold on me. Who the Son sets free, he is free indeed. Now my dad is faith in his Give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the worthy praise. How many of you know He is worthy this morning? He did all the work. He paid the price. There is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. I said there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He is risen from the dead. He paid the price, conquered it victoriously, absolutely conquered it. If you, while you're standing, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, verse 24 through 35, then Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Matthew 27, verse 24 to 35. Listen to what the Word says. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that atonement was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, the man, they found a man named, a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. When they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled or vinegar with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In Luke chapter 23, and verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, would you say that with me? Calvary. Say it again. Calvary. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Father, as we come before you this morning, this is not just another Sunday. Thank you for the mission complete. Thank you that you had a plan in place. You followed through. Lord, you're always good for your word. We honor you this morning and we thank you as we've gathered together in this house on Resurrection Sunday to remember, to remember the moment when the energies of glory and the word was spoken from the throne. Life was placed back into the son of the living God. And he rose from the dead, walked out of that tomb and right into the hearts and lives of all of those who would dare to call on his name. We honor you this morning and we thank you for what today symbolizes and represents. We'll not fail to give you the honor and the glory and all the praise for every heart that will be challenged and every life that will be changed today by the power of the blood that is still working the work of the kingdom in Jesus name amen you may be seated when the soldiers brought Jesus out from before Pilate he was already carrying the cross beam which is the top part of the cross you've seen that perhaps in different depictions and movies the Roman crosses were shaped like a T. They weighed, the crossbeam weighed about a hundred pounds. Once convicted, the criminal was then forced to carry the crossbeam tied around their body. The reason that they marched them from the trial to the place of crucifixion was because they wanted all of the people to see. They wanted this person to be made a scapegoat on their way to defeat and death. They wanted the whole city to see and know the power of the Romans. They were proud of their systems, their laws. A herald would go before the criminal as he carried his cross, many times holding a sign and proclaiming what the crime was that he had, that he had done, that he had been convicted of. In the case, we understand in the Word of God that 
they made a sign for the Lord, as was customary in many places. And that sign they took and tacked it on top of the crossbeam where Jesus would be hung. Vultures flew over the place of the crucifixion. You have to know what this place was. I mean, sometimes we depict, we have a way of being very religious in how we narrate what happened at Calvary. But Calvary, on your way to the skull, the place called Golgotha, when you get there, it's none to be, it's no place for pictures. It's no place for tourism. The, nobody went there just to hang out or just to see what was going on. You went there on purpose. Either you had someone that you loved was there or you were there demanding justice, but you didn't go there haphazardly. You went there on purpose as the vultures flew around in mass and the wild dogs were waiting on the sidelines and the bushes and trees. It was a smell. It was horrendous. It was an ugly place. Jesus was made a sign that said, King of the Jews. And that was his crime. That was his crime. It was written so that all would know it. Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. They wanted everybody to understand and know what this man claimed to be. This place of the skull. Calvary. The true Christian has mixed feelings, honestly, the true Christian, has mixed feelings about Calvary's cross. I had him bring the cross out here this morning because I wanted you to keep it in your mind as we take a trip back to Calvary's cross. When I read about the crucifixion, when I really start to study it and take it apart and really look at what it represents, sometimes it makes me want to repent for the way that today's society has kind of watered it down and almost made it fashionable. I don't begrudge anyone who wears a cross around their neck or on their ears or wears it on a shirt. I have several such shirts. It identifies our, as a symbol our, our faith and, and our trust in Jesus Christ. It lets people know we're a Christian and we understand that. But there's also another side of the coin that's, that bothers me sometimes. Because you see, we've made it out to be beautiful. We shine it up and we put rhinestones and we put diamonds and we make it real beautiful and people wear them as fashion pieces and they're, they're exquisite and they're costly and expensive. I don't want to ever forget what the cross really means. I don't ever want to forget by the beautifying of it I don't ever want to forget and stop meditating on how serious it really was. It wasn't lavishly decorated at all. There were no gems, no sparkles. There was nothing there that anybody would be proud of. It was shocking. It was appalling. It was disgusting. It was horrifying. They stripped Jesus. Now, you remember, this the baby in the manger. This is the announced son of God. With strips of cloth in a manger, there he was heralded by the angels. It was proclaimed the son of David had been born. 
at 12 years old in the temple teaching the priests, the scribes, as they listened closely to what this young man of great wisdom had to say. Now here he is, having just come from the heralding people who were screaming and waving their palm branches, welcoming Hosanna into the city, the king. Now, here they are crucifying him. Fickle. Turned their back on him. They stripped him and humiliated him in the city. They ripped his flesh. They bruised him from head to foot. They say that because of the way that he'd been beaten and marred, that every breath he took, he had to try to press up with his body just to be able to take a breath. His nervous system was sending signals to his brain of excruciating pain. Water and blood mixed in his face as it covered his eyes. He couldn't see. He couldn't hear. He was drenched as blood was running from his hands and his feet. You know the story. Can I just tell you the reason I'm pointing this out this morning is we've got to remember what he did. We have to remember that it wasn't pretty. It was ugly. It's repulsive. It's okay for us to symbolize our faith. But much like when we take communion, you know, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember that it's my body broken for you. And it's my blood spilled for you. Somebody says, well, you know, that Easter cantata they do over there, it, it's awful bloody. It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. I don't ever want to get to the place where I forget the price that was paid for the salvation that I have. When I look at that cross and I realize that all of my sin was laid on that cross... When I understand and know it's not just a presentation for the church. It's not just something I watched as the Vatican did the, the mass this morning. And I watched as they, they went through their rituals. And I thought about all of that. And I saw this, this simple little wooden cross. I saw the blood covered. I saw all of the anguish around that picture in my mind and my heart. And I had to remember amidst all of the, the celebration amidst all of the, the gaiety and all of the things that literally were making it such a, a beautiful experience this morning, I had to remember how ugly it was and how personal it was that it was my sin. It was my sin. When they sing the songs this morning, it's my sin, it's your sin. It's not about the church. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a religion or denomination. It's not about whether or not you pay your tithes or not. All of those things are results of your love for God. They have nothing to do with what he did for you. To remember what Christ has done for him. They mocked him. Twisted a crown of thorns to make fun of him and placed it on his head and pushed it down into his forehead, mocking him as a king, shaming him, hating him. 
There was no majesty. There was no majesty in the cross. Let's take a trip back to Calvary, a place where Christ died and salvation was born, where you see God at his very best and you see man at his very worst. Where heaven reached down in tender love and hell was having a party. I tell you, heaven was, was, was saddened by the events, but also filled with peace and joy because they knew what the outcome would be. Can you imagine the, the party, the screaming, the wildness of hell as it thought it really had done its job on the Lord? Do you think for a minute that the enemy didn't think he had him? He didn't know everything. He's not omniscient. He saw things. He he was smart, but he didn't know. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. The rose of Sharon crushed right there in front of him. The lily of the valley cut off. The prince from the manger mangled before his very eyes. The devil was a happy, happy fallen angel. But light began to beam down, and with that blood, when that blood began to fall, I mean the first drop, when the first drop fell, it began to send a message to hell. It began to send a message to you and I and to the world. And I know when the Lord himself, I'm sure that when he felt the first drop, when he felt or saw the first drop go down to the ground, I'm sure there was a part of him that was just like, well, here we go. Here we go. He purchased your redemption in mind. Your horrifying sins, your your failures, your shame, your guilt. He purchased that for you. He took that for you and me. There was suffering at Calvary. Psalm 22 and verse 14 says this, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. The dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sin was bad. Sin is bad. It takes you down a road you don't want to go to. How many of you have ever known that to be true in your life? It makes you pay a price you don't want to pay. It brings shame and guilt. You, your job, your marriage, your kids no longer look at you the same. You lose your home. You have no respect. You live this life of guilt. Sin, sin is what he carried on the crossbeams headed to Calvary. That guilt, that sorrow, that embarrassment, all the years that have been wasted, the way your wife looks at you in the eye or your husband, the way your children stand back and are afraid of you, this is what sin has done in your life. Your boss don't know what's wrong with you. You're dazed and confused. You feel like you have no direction. You don't know where you're going in life. This is what sin does. Sin is progressive. Sin is not just a little bit in your life. It's not just a little pleasure on the side. It's something that takes hold and digs roots deep down in the soul of man. It obviously is something that destroys or God wouldn't have sensed such importance in bringing their mission to rescue. Your wife's fed up and has no patience. Your kids 
no longer want to be around you. This is what Jesus carried on the crossbeam. The Bible says all of the sin of the entire world was laid on him. That's what this morning is about. It wasn't even really about giving your life on a cross. Others died on the cross. It was about what he carried to the cross. It was about what was in the, the ingredients of that afternoon. All the elements of the whole world, everything woke up to the fact that Jesus Christ was on that cross. The Bible is clear to point out how the earth shook, the sky was darkened, everything around this beautiful cross was affected and touched. The elements of the earth were paying attention. The trees, the, the, the rivers, the animals, the birds, the trees. Around them, they all were looking, watching closely. The creation knew what this meant. The earth knew what this meant. The sun knew to be darkened. The earth knew to shake. Yet we become so commonplace with our religious faith We've become so careless with grace. Though your sins be as scarlet, he said, they shall be white as snow. Your sin, my sin, that's what put him on the cross. You, you think it was the nails that kept him there? Do you think it was the beating, the marring that kept him there? Do you think the Romans, as they proclaimed and marched him through the city? Do you think as they looked into the hearts and lives, I watched these guards last night as they looked at the crowd and they walked around eyeing everybody and looking at them. That's the way the Romans were. They wanted you to know their power. They wanted you to know that they had the control. They wanted you to be in perfect submission. And the devil is the same way in your life. He wants you to feel the convicting power that he has. He wants you to feel like you can't move left or right. He wants control of your life. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. Don't you remember when Peter was in the garden with them and got all upset and he cut the guard's ear off and Jesus healed him immediately? Jesus looked at him and said, don't you know? Don't you know, little boy? If I were to pray to my father, he would send 12 legions of angels, dispatch them immediately, It wasn't the Romans that took him to the cross or, or kept him there. It wasn't the power of the governor. It wasn't any of those rules or laws that kept him there. When they nailed Jesus to that cross, I'm sure he had to look up to heaven and, and he had to just give him a look because I'm sure across the balconies of heaven there were tens of thousands of angels. We understand the way that he said, I could have called at more than 12 legions. So we, we have no idea how many that would be since it was more than. But we do know that a legion was at least 6,000. So if you had 12 of them, you have 72,000 angels that God said, if he even blinks an eye towards us. If he looks at us and he says, no more. 
72,000 angels at least were standing there waiting. But he didn't. The Bible says he endured the cross, suffered the shame. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Sometimes we think it's all about us. It's all about my worship. It's all about my dance. It's all about my song. It's all about my faith. It's all about me. It's my freedom, my liberty. Let me tell you something. The liberties and the freedoms we have is to get back on a bended knee, broken and humble before the cross, and to allow him to be Lord of our lives, to lay aside our own selfish ambitions, even in our religion. The pompous and arrogance of some folks who literally put their religion out there like they're better than others because of their styles and their preferences and the way they do it. I'm telling you, all of us are humble and broken before a cross. I have no hope outside of the cross. I have no worship outside of the cross. Don't tell me how to do it. The best way for me to do it is to fall madly in love with him so that I can worship him in a prison house, so I can worship him in the unemployment line, so I can worship him in the middle of the wilderness, broken and in despair. I find he is my worship. He's my worship. He could have accepted the challenge of the crowd that day. You remember? Hey! If, if, if you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. Don't you know they had no clue that he could have. He could have. But he didn't suffered the shame he took he took it all it was him who said in John chapter 3 and verse 14 as Moses was lifted up as he lifted up the servant in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life then he went on to say for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the Son, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When he died, he didn't die of a spear. He didn't die of a nail. They didn't have to go break his bones. Jesus, listen to me. You don't hear anything else. You see, in this moment right here, this is, this is important. How many of you know that? Say amen. This is important. Where you will be 100,000 years from this moment is important. What God did to preserve you for eternity is important. 
I and myself am nothing. I'm nobody. I'm, I, I, I barely have an idea that I could have any worth in this life more than the average Joe. But in this moment, if I'm called of God, if I'm a servant of the Lord, if I'm a pastor called by the heart of the Lord, then I have a job to do this morning. And the job before me with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is to climb right in to where your soul is and by the help of the Holy Ghost, knock on your heart's door and hear you cry out to the Savior for yourself. You must know Him. You cannot put it aside. You can't push it back. You can't hide from it any longer. A moment is required of you and you must be prepared. You must be ready. Oh, leave me alone, preacher. I'm not ready for this. I, I'm, I'm not ready to deal with this. I, I came to please my dad. I, I came here today to please my mom. You know, I only come on Easter. Leave me alone, pastor. I would go home and I would have to repent, Marty, if I didn't look at you this morning and with a a brokenness and a prayer. I, I prayed at the seat before I stood up here and I said, God, we've got work to do. Holy Spirit, if you don't anoint me, there's nothing can help anyone. If you're not here this morning, there's not a thing we can do for these folks. I, I can't save them. I can't do anything, but I'll be your vessel. Lord, we've got work to do. You are that work. You're the mission. When Jesus Christ looked up into the heavens and he cried it out and I never, never tire of hearing it but when he looked up into the heavens and he said, it is finished! He was saying to heaven and to those 72,000 angels standing right there, it's done. It's complete. And you know how excited he was? He was so excited about that moment that just a few minutes before that, the story goes that there was a thief on one side of him and on the other. And the Bible said, Jesus knew. I mean, the blood had already been spilling, you know. He, he already knew where this was headed. And Jesus looked over at that thief, so determined, couldn't hardly wait for redemption. And he looked at the guilty, he looked at the shamed. He looked at the convicted man and said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Are you guilty? Are you bruised and battered in your own life? Are you far away from God? Are you shamed? John was right. John was right when he saw him coming over the hill. He looked up from baptizing all the folks that were in the water preaching repentance. And he looked up and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was right. A lamb, the Bible tells us, led to the slaughter. I don't know what's hurt you. 
I don't know what's caused you to be bitter. I don't know what's made you hard and cold on the inside. I have no clue whether it was a preacher or whether it was politics or it was a church. I don't know what it was. It was something apparently the enemy decided would work in your life. And it's caused you to be cold and indifferent to the work of Christ. But this morning my prayer is that all the veil would be lifted and torn in two before you so that you could genuinely see the love that God has for you. He was bound to that crossbeam so that you could be free. He was nailed to the cross so that your sins would be washed away. He paid the price of death so that you wouldn't have to Romans 6 and 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Isaiah 53 and verse 4 famous scripture we read over and over at the Easter holidays surely is born our griefs carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our, our, our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter told us in the word, he said, him who knew no sin. Judas even said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He had no sin. He had no fault. He had no, no reason, no impurity in him. He was pure when he went to the cross. He only went. The tornado of the sin of the whole world laid on him. Do you remember that it's yours? It's mine. Every time you don't care, every time you're careless with grace, every time you dare to call on him only when you need him, do you remember that he was bruised? He was wounded for you. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. At the cross, his brow pierced so that you could have peace of mind suffered temporary defeat so that you could have eternal victory. He was killed just for the unjust, righteous for the unrighteous, the lovable for the unlovable, the holy for the unholy, the sinless for the sinner. Would you stand with me this morning?
The devil thought he had him. But Calvary also represents victory. That's why we wear it, Donnie, around our necks. Because it's victory. But not without remembering. Not without remembering what it represents. See, now I, I got a sense that the next time you put your cross on, you're going to run your hand over it a little more. Or hold it close to your heart. Next time you walk up on the back of your car and see your fish, you're going to remember how much that cost. Right? The devil thought he had him. But he wasn't defeated. He was victorious. Colossians 2 and chapter 14 says this, and I'm going to close. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The devil was not aware that he was the one being defeated. Did you hear me? The devil was not aware that he was the one being defeated. He's defeated. Why do we fight with him so much when he's already been defeated? You don't got to fight him. You don't have to, to wrestle with the enemy and the things in your life. You just got to get back to the cross. There. Your salvation was purchased. The Rose of Sharon blooms again. That's one of the reasons why I, I know there are lots of theological reasons why Aaron's rod was in the Ark of the Covenant. But it budded again. I see the rose of Sharon cut down, blooming again. Because Calvary represents victory. What the enemy meant for harm to him and to the world God meant for good. What the enemy means for harm and evil against you, God means for good. God's going to turn it around for you. He wants to, you to experience the very purpose and reason of the cross. He wants the cross to come alive in your own heart and life. He wants you to know him as the Lamb of God. He wants you to know him as the Savior. He wants you to lay down the fight and the struggle in the running. I mean, isn't it amazing how we run? People want to talk to us about the Lord, and we, put a, we don't want to hear it. Why? The distractions and the deceptions all around us are there to keep us from hearing the simple truth that He doesn't pressure, He doesn't push. He just simply bled. Bruised, battered, and beaten so you could have a choice this morning. You cannot choose to trust him you can choose to say no with every head bowed and every eye closed you can choose to say no 
You are absolutely free to spend eternity lost. But you are also very free this morning to choose yes. You're free to choose that Jesus died on the cross for you and he deserves. He's worthy of your surrender. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of you giving your life back to him. He paid a price for you and you have the right this morning. You got the choice to say yes to him. And then you will be numbered among those in Revelation that talks about standing around his throne. The Bible says the number of them, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. You can be there. You can secure your own reservation in this moment right here. Most important decision you'll make in your life right now. It doesn't matter where you go to college. It doesn't matter as much what cars you buy or how many houses you have or how many degrees you get or how much money you own or how much is in the bank. It doesn't matter how, many, how much recognition, how many awards or how many toys you buy in life. More than this moment right here. Most important question I'll ever ask you, are you ready for heaven? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior, your relationship? Do you have him in your heart and life? Christians are praying. If you've come by here today, I just kind of assume that the Lord has ordered your steps he has ordered your steps. He loves you so much. He wanted to make sure you were here right now hearing this invitation. The Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart's door right now. You sense the invitation coming from heaven. You know it's not just a preacher preaching something to, to try to sway your emotions. You feel and you know that God's calling your name this morning. And you dare to leave this house until heaven and earth has come together for you. you're here in this audience and you need Jesus we're going to pray together in just a few moments and I always want to make sure you understand the way this is we don't just recite a little magic formula for you to just be saved and that's it for the rest of your life it, it takes surrender how many of you know that say amen it takes giving your life over it takes a change and transformation your life will turn upside down. Everything will be new. The Bible says he takes out the stony heart, the old heart, puts a brand new one in. You're born again, the Bible says, and your life changes drastically when you mean it with all of your heart, when you give your soul, not your lip service, not just your time. I'm talking about your heart, your soul. When you give it to him today then I mean everything changes in your life. is that You'll be different to your wife. You'll be different to your kids. You're different to your husband. You'll be different to your friends and your family. They won't know what happened to you on the job. You'll be a brand new person. I mean it. That's what he does. He didn't come to play games with you. He came to transform and change you and get you ready for eternity. Right now, in this moment, if you need Jesus in your life, you need the change. You're tired of living the life you've lived. You're tired of embarrassing and shaming yourself to all your family and friends. You're, you're tired of running. Tired of running away from this faith. You tell others you're going to get right. You're going to give yourself to. 
with the hope that you'll do it before it's too late. Man, I feel the Lord. Somebody pray in here. I believe you're here this morning and you need Jesus and that you're ready. Don't miss heaven. Don't miss heaven. Don't miss seeing loved ones that have gone on before you. Don't let the cares of this life destroy your faith and your hope in eternity. Don't let the world water down the gospel so that you don't see how powerful, how costly it was for you. Right here, right now, I need to pray that prayer, Pastor. We're going to pray a prayer. This prayer from your heart will change your life. I'm going to pray it this morning. Where are you? Lift your hand all over the place. Are you here today? Anyone at all? Just lift your hand right up and right back down. We're going to pray a prayer just for you this morning. Amen. God bless you. Anyone else? Pastor, I need that on Easter Sunday morning. Amen. God bless you. I need to be saved this morning. I need things right between me and my Lord. And what better day than Easter Sunday morning? Are you here? I'm going to pray the prayer, Pastor. I'm, I'm going to pray with you right now. Would you just slip up your hand right back down? Thank you for these that have lifted your hand. God bless you, sister. It's no little decision. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these that have lifted your hands. We're going to pray right now. All of us are going to pray with you. We're going to take you right to the throne. As you mean this from your heart, Jesus is going to come into your life. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. I declare you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. You purchased my salvation. I come to you today, surrendering my life, be the Lord of my life and help me to live for you every day till you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. There are a group of folks standing at the back doors as you leave today. If you prayed that prayer, they have a Bible they would love to give you if you just stop by and let them talk to you for just a few moments. There's a card also, a crosswalk card that's in your pew. What that is is that we just don't want to send you off into the world without any resource. We want to help you. So we want you to fill that card out. If you fill that card out, then you hand it to one of these folks, and on your way out, they'll give you that Bible. They'll just have a moment's chat with you. They're not going to come knock on your door at your house. They're not going to come and you know, move into the family room. They just want to talk to you a few minutes and help you in your walk with God to get established and get rooted and grounded. They'll help you in any way that you need or want. So as we do that today, 
I think it's awesome for us one more time to celebrate and thank God for the people's lives who've been transformed and changed all weekend long. Amen. Would you help me do that? Happy Easter to you, to your family. I trust perhaps some of you are going to be staying for the presentation at 11. If not, you go and have a beautiful, wonderful Easter day with your family. We do have the service this morning and at 11 o'clock this morning. And that is the services we'll have for Easter Sunday today. So enjoy your time with your family. Enjoy time with your friends. And enjoy this beautiful weather we're having. God bless you. Happy Easter.